Here we are on Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Wednesday morning, and uh, we are we are making sure that we are living in Wednesday. We're not looking to Friday or Saturday. We're living today because there's much that the Lord wants to show us and teach us today. A couple of announcements. We have two things going on today that you'll want to know about. Um, one is at 2 o'clock is the relays that will be taking place out over here on the, it's called the tab field. So bring your team of four and have some fun. If you have a team of two, still come, and we'll connect you with some others because sometimes that's just what happens. If you are a one person and you can't find a team and you want to be a part of a team, still come, and we will connect you over there. And so come and enjoy and have some fun with that. At 2.15 in here is a hymn sing with Lou Tibbetts and Deb Ackerman. So Deb will be playing. Lou will be leading. There's going to be some testimonies and some uh, just singing of those of those good, solid hymns that uh, we should never throw away or ignore or get rid of. So um, the, uh, you'll want to be here at 2.15 to enjoy that. Now, if you say, but what? I wanted to be part of the relay, and I want to be a part of the hymn sing. How can I do that? Well, you're just going to have to make a decision. That's what's going to have to happen there. All right? <laughs> and either one will be uh, a complete joy for you to be a part of. And uh, we're excited about both of those things happening today. Um, also, we are in need of some volunteers for the children's programming during the evening service tonight. So if you are somebody who would be willing to, um, to do that, remember that the sermon will be online. So yes, you will miss it delivered live, but you can catch it later and then still be caught up with all of the messages. So if you um, want to volunteer for that, you need to see me in between the two Bible study times. I need six people and let me know. But I can promise if we don't have those six people, I'm just going to come up to you and ask you anyway. So you might as well just volunteer, okay? Because I love assimilating and asking for people to serve in places. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do. So I have zero problem asking people to. And when you face-to-face, you'll rarely get a no. So there you go. Um, but it, I, we, <laughs> I want you to feel like you're giving and not compelled, you know, in terms of she made me do it. Um, But uh, so I think those are the only three things that we needed to say. Are you ready to learn this morning? I I wouldn't be excited about teaching it from that. Are you ready to learn this morning? Now I would be excited about teaching. (laughs) Let's pray together. God, thank you so much again for uh, waking all of us up this morning and for calling us here. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we need you. And we're so grateful, Lord, that uh, you saw fit to give us all that we need. And so we're going to trust you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. You're the one that can dive in and see the very depths of who we are. You're the one that enables us. You're the one that encourages us. You're the one that teaches and um, and changes. And we're grateful and we need that. So may the words of the parables come to life for us in a new and a fresh way today. May we be woken up to some nugget of yours, Lord, not so that we just 
learn about this, but so that your word is revealed to us so that we can live different, so that our hearts would be changed, so that our lives would be changed, so that the broken world around us can see that there is hope, and his name is Jesus. So thank you that we can learn from you today and from your word. We give you all praise, and we give you all glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, beloved. <clears throat> Just a couple uh, housekeeping things that I'd like to mention as well. First, uh, I was not put up to this, but I tell you what, there is value in me saying this. Um, Ellen, my good friend Ellen, has written two books I have procured both of them and asked her if she would write to my wife a little note on the inside, which she graciously agreed to. Ellen also does speaking, and I tell you what, when I was pastoring a megachurch, one of the biggest challenges we had were finding effective speakers for women's retreats and day away and in women's ministries. She also does that. I would highly encourage you to talk to Ellen. She has business cards back there. Her books are available. She'll even write a little inscription on the inside, not to my wife, but for you. The other one is Jeannie. Jeannie Hewitt's right down here. Uh, they can't say this themselves, but I can say it. I looked through all these books last night very, very carefully. Jeannie's one of the other uh, Bible teachers on staff during, during this week. Uh, I'd highly encourage you. Uh, Judy just said to me, my wife, this past week, I need something new and fresh for my devotions. I'm kind of stuck. And I told her last night, I said, I've got exactly what you need for your devotions right here. Metamorphosis of the mind, that's also back there. I'd encourage you to give consideration to both of these. You guys owe me. <laughs> just teasing. You're welcome. I, I mean, I just know what that's like, and you can't say it yourself. The other thing, listen carefully. I had shared with you that the teaching on prodigals was going to be Friday. I'm making a shift. It will be tomorrow. It will be tomorrow. There are some people who have told me that they're unable to be here on Friday. Um, I just, for some reason, was sensing, you know, you just kind of do this stuff mid-course. Mid and so if there are people that you know who are intending on being here Friday for that, we're going to be doing it tomorrow. It will be online as well. But uh, I know a number of people were interested and have talked with me about those issues. One of the reasons was on Friday, when I teach on Friday morning, I'm jumping in my pickup truck and heading south back to the Hoosier State. And I thought, you know what? I'm not sure if that's fair for me to teach on such a, on a significant topic and then, boom, leave. I'm purposely doing it on Thursday, allowing myself at least 24 hours to interact with people because yeah, there's always a number of people who want to come up and talk and share and just say, this is, our, this is our story, this is what we're dealing with with our daughter. And I'm more than happy to spend time doing that sort of thing. So those are the two items. Let's jump into the puzzle. Does anybody else need a, a purple outline here? Yes, I see that hand. Miss Ellen, would you... Be so gracious, my dear. To All right. <laughs> Let's begin. Thank you. Let's begin walking through. Are these hard? Are these hard today? You kind of figure this stuff out? 
You know, once again, one of the, one of the, the neat things about the, these little puzzles is w when you see it, you're going, oh, I should have got it. How did he get it? Okay, here we go. A1 is an easy one. Poison Ivy. Poison on Ivy. Got it. Good. A2. No one to to blame. No one to blame. Oh, Mitch, I should have got it. All right, number three is an easy one. Apple card upset or upset the apple card is correct. A4, biblical reference. Passover lamb. Get it? Passover lamb. Come on. By the way, how many people are four for four? That would be nobody. Oh, wait a minute. No, we do have one or two. Lou, you? <laughs> you know what, Lou? I'm going to write that down. That is really, really good. <laughs> I missed them all. I am four for four. Okay, B1. Time on your hands. Or time is in his hand. Or our times are in his hands. Huh? Biblical reference. B2. Well, you, you, the word pay, okay, you got pay, but what's the word pay doing? It's going through, pay, pay through the nose. Come on. This was gettable. Pay through the nose. Once again, are we going too quickly here for you? All right, B3 is a groaner. Mayonnaise. May on ace. It's the month of May on an ace mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. That was a stretch. B4. Back and forth is correct. See it? The word and is backwards? All right. Now, you better get C1. The man in the moon. You know what? Some of the alternate answers are even better. What did you did you have a better answer, or a worse? Did somebody have an answer over here that was different? Okay. What's uh, C two? Top of the heap. Good. See it? It's the top of the bean. <laughs> top of the bean. <laughs> you know what? We're going to accept that for creativity. C three. <laughs> She's from Kentucky and said, go blue. That doesn't work here. Bolt out of the blue. See, it's a bolt. It's not in the blue. It's out of the blue. Okay, C4. Go down in flames. Does that make sense? Okay, D1. Uh, that's E1. D1 is, but on the second thought, oh. yeah, that's a groaner too, but on the second thought, okay, uh, D2, exterminate, 
X term in eight. Good. D3. Overwhelming odds. One, three, five, six. Overwhelming odds. Good. D4, simple. No hitting below the belt is correct. E1 was an easy one. Hit the nail on the head. Good. Hit the nail on the head. E2. Oh, excellent. Split second timing. The second. Oh, I don't know how you Google. Split second timing is excellent. Uh, E3 is probably the worst. Third time a charm. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Third time's a charm. And the last one. Well, it has to do with the word no. Okay. But, but, but no is spelled in two different ways, and it's surrounding the word no, uh, no two ways about it. No two ways about it. Oh. They're awful. They're awful. So awful, I've got extras if you want to have originals that aren't written on up here. Once again, you'll have five of them. Email me if you want more. I've probably got dozens of these. We do them every week at church before Bible study on Wednesday night. Okay, here we go. Um, this morning, uh, the, the two parables we're going to be talking about, twin parables, jot them at the, uh, underneath the logo at the top, the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. Okay, the treasure found in the field and the pearl of great price. Interestingly enough, the first parable consists of two verses. Second parable is a one-verse parable. Let me read them to you. Once again, uh, our premise uh, during these days, these are kingdom parables when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. Those are called kingdom parables. All week long, we're going to be looking at the parables of the kingdom with the exception of tomorrow, the prodigal son, uh, the, the parables out of Luke 15 are not kingdom parables. They're parables but they wouldn't fit into that category. Okay, the kingdom of heaven, notice the simile, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Well, what's that about? End of the parable. Again, notice the linking words suggest that these two parables are telling the same truth. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Okay, Jesus is kind of underlining similar truths uh, with both of these parables. 
First of all, let me take them one at a time and kind of unlock this for you. Here we go. You've got, and once again, as we've talked about previously, you've got to understand culturally what's taking place. To the hearers of Jesus, they would have gotten this. Now, those of us living in the West in the 21st century, it's harder for us. Treasure was often buried in this culture. Why would they bury treasure and not put them in banks? Well, well, one thing, yeah, banks haven't been invented yet, but there's another reason, and I, it's connected with what I shared with you yesterday. That's exactly right. Because of where the promised land, the holy land, is located, it is not a secure place. You constantly have conquering marauders coming in and taking over. You think about it, just in the Bible, see? Remember when you finally, you, you, and I refer to them as, um, uh, you've got cats and dogs, okay? The cats are, 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 are the, li the little skirmishes that are happening internally within Israel. Remember, you've got the Philistines, okay? The Philistines, David and Goliath. Again, the Philistines, they landed down near Gaza. You've heard of the Gaza Strip. Philistines landed. They were, sea, they were seafaring people. Probably on the island of Crete in antiquity, it had an earthquake, a horrible volcano, and they, had, they said the people there had to relocate. Many scholars believe the Philistines relocated. They sailed, and they hit the shore down there in that area. So what are you going to do if you're seafaring people, you land on the coast, how are you going to survive? Well, you, you've got to try to get a foothold, a beachhead, and begin eking it out. That is why they're fighting against Saul. They're just simply trying to survive. They're trying to get farmland. They're trying to establish an existence. So you've got the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Mosquito Bites. You've got, you got all these different... All these different internal conflicts between these little guys, these little cats fighting each other. But then you get the big dogs. Who would be the big dogs? The Egyptians, the Babylonians. Remember after the, the kingdom split? Who comes in? Well, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians. They're huge. Assyrians were huge. And then after the southern kingdom of Judah falls, that was the Babylonians, Babylon. And then eventually, who takes over the world and just basically mops up? The Persians. See? That's when Esther and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all transported. So you've got these big dogs internationally coming. Alexander the Great, he came in and conquered. I mean, so the land is in constant upheaval. How do you defend against that stuff? Well, I'll tell you what. When you've got money, Jack, you don't stick it in a peanut butter jar. See? What do you do with it? You bury it. You bury it. That's what's taking place here. Interesting. Uh, as another connection, jotting your margin after this point, Matthew 25, 25. You've never seen this connection before. The parable of the talents. What did the last guy say? I was afraid, 
and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Now you understand why he did that. That was a cultural thing for in those days. Treasure was often buried. Because of that, treasure was occasionally found. I mean, you've got buried treasure all over the place. As a matter of fact, they have discovered that there were professional treasure hunters in Israel. That, that, that's what they would do. They would go out with those little... Just making sure you're awake. It was not uncommon for people to find treasure. Job 3.21. Job 3.21. Search for it more than you would search for hidden treasure. The assumption is according to Job 3.21, is that people look for hidden treasure regularly. And so what we've got in this story is this story of this man who apparently is out, is out plowing in this field and his, and his plow hits something and he thinks, oh, man, what is this? You know, it's probably an old boot or a bicycle, even though they haven't been invented yet. I'm going to try and dig this up and see what... He goes, lo and behold, holy smokes... It's a treasure. So what does he do? He takes off, buys the field, and then acquires the treasure. Now, when you start thinking through this, I'm not sure if I would have done that. I think what I would have done is taken part of the treasure, liquidated it, and then with the money I got from that, now I go back and buy the field. But that's not what happens, see. What's going on here? Now, some people's eyebrows raise at this point concerning the ethics of the story. They'll say, how can Jesus tell this story where there's an unethical uh, presentation occurring? I mean, obviously, it doesn't belong to him. I mean, he, he finds his treasure, acquires it. I mean, it seems like this is kind of shady. How can Jesus be telling a shady story? Let me help you with that. Three quick insights. Insight number one. First of all, you, you, we've got to understand the culture. Jewish rabbinic law says, if a man, by the way, they had laws concerning this because there's so much treasure out there buried. If you find lost food or lost money, it belongs to whom? Finders keepers. So this man is well within ethical boundaries by, by acquiring this treasure that doesn't belong to him. Because now that he found it, it does belong to him. And you might say, Ay, boy, I, I st I'm still struggling. Secondly, I want you to think through this for a minute. The treasure did not belong to the owner of the field. That's exactly right. How do I know that? Why would he sell the field if he knew that he had buried treasure in it? So obviously it doesn't belong to the man who owns the field. It, 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 it belongs to apparently a previous owner of the land who either died off or forgot about it or whatever. So it, it doesn't belong to the owner of the field anyway. And thirdly, the fact that the man reburies the treasure, takes his own money, buys the field, shows that he was being more than ethical. 
And so the people who are hearing this story, they're not blinking or, or hiccuping at all. They understand this is sort of how it works, see, in Israel. It's interesting. I mentioned earlier that we're going to be there in another month, trip number five. And, and when you're there, it, you, people are finding things all the time. Second trip we were there, we went down, some of you who have been there, we went down in the city of David, down near the Gihon Spring, near Hezekiah's Tunnel, and we couldn't get there in the normal way because they blocked it off. And we said, what's wrong? We can't, we're trying to get to the Gihon Spring down here in, in, you know, to go through Hezekiah's Tunnel. And they said, IAA, Israel Antiquities Authority, IAA's blocked it off. Why? They just found, they just found Nehemiah's horse gate. What? They just found the horse gate. And so while you're, they're digging and they're, you know, they're burying underground cable or, or you know, their Wi-Fi, that kind of stuff, all the time, as soon as they bump into something, boom, IA comes in and goes, you're done here. And now it becomes an archaeological dig. We went to this one place. It was called Azeka. And while you're there, we tell people, you know, there's lots of pottery here. Uh, you can establish times and dates and stuff by pottery. That's how they know how old. That's how they, they know who lived there and how many years ago. And so people are, you can go on, you can find pieces of pottery. And you walk up and say, well, what's this? Well, yeah, okay, that would be pottery from the Crusaders' age. Okay, this was pottery from this age. So, and so I've been there, and every time I've gone, I've tried to go to remote places of this place and find pottery that, you know, because it just, it just comes to the surface. We were there one year, and this guy ends up, first time he'd been there, he ends up, he finds us this shard, probably about the size of a playing card, and it's got inscriptions on it. He walks over, and the guy, and he says to the guide, I get this pottery, but it's got this ink on it. And he goes, you're very lucky, that's Philistine. Philistine? Yeah. Philistine pottery will always have black and red lines on it. They're the only culture that ever did that. And so he finds a piece of pottery from the Philistines. And I'm going, terrific. You know, I'm finding a styrofoam cup from <laughs> McDonald's. He I can't believe it. See. And so it's stuff like, and by the way, legally, if you find something of any significance, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the IAA. And they tell you, if you find you know, a piece of metal or anything that's, that's larger than a playing card, by law you have to hand it over. And he goes, we've had, we've had people find all kinds of stuff. You know, uh, find uh, denarius, um, the money that was used by the Romans during the times of Jesus. You can't keep it. So, all right. Now, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> parable number two, I'm sorry, question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, can, you can get arrested for doing that kind of stuff. But it's crazy. Uh, uh, you know, when we were there, that's when they found um, uh, the, the, the bone box of James. Some of you remember a few years ago, James, the brother of Jesus, that they thought it was the ossuary. Those are called ossuaries of James. And, and um, we don't know if it, if it is or not, but... It's interesting. Okay, second parable, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, it's linked. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So number three on your list up there is that pearls were precious. The Talmud states pearls are valued beyond price. Some of you remember the Arab Spring a number of years ago. Well, that happened in this large plaza outside of Cairo, just outside of the Cairo Museum. We've been in the Cairo Museum, and not during the, uh, during the spring, but we went into this area, and it was almost the size of the tabernacle, which houses the, the um, treasures of King Tut, which is in the, val the actual tomb is in the Valley of the Kings. Uh, but the treasures are in the Cairo Museum. And so you walk in, and some of you remember seeing the cover of National Geographic, the mask of King Tut. It's golden. It's got the gold and royal blue stripes on it. It's that very famous mask. It is there, hermetically sealed, behind bulletproof glass with Egyptian soldiers with submachine guns standing around it. So I say to the guy, wow, I think that this stuff was in Chicago a few years ago. And he said, it was, but it will, given today, it will never again leave Egypt. It will never again leave Egypt. It is absolutely, I said, what's it insured for? He goes, it's uninsurable. How do you replace the mask of King Tut? And so it is just beyond price. Pearls were considered that way. The Egyptians worshipped the pearl. Women showed their wealth by putting pearls on their head. Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy 2.9. Do not adorn yourself with pearls. By the way, of greater value than diamonds, it was the most valuable uh, gemstone, if I may. In fact, Jesus, in trying to compare the greatest value against the worst value, said, do not cast your before swine. Once again, you see in the culture how they look at them. Kings, filthy rich, would take pearls, drop them into wine, dissolve them, and drink the, the wine. Now that's rich, see? Dissolve pearls in wine and drink them. It's said that the wife of the emperor Caligula at one event had $37 million of pearls on her. I mean, you see... You see the people at the red carpet at the Academy Awards, and uh, nobody's wearing $37 million. I mean, it says that she had pearls on her head, pearls in her hair, pearls on her ears, pearls on her neck, pearls on her fingers, $37 million. She could have stood in for one of the gates of heaven. I mean, this, that is being extremely rich. Because of that, number two, pearls, obviously were pursued. People would die. They did not have aqua lungs back then. What they would do, professional pearl divers, uh, they would strap rocks to their bodies, drop over, overboard, and search for pearls. And there's all kinds of goofy stuff down there in the deep. Um, very difficult because to an Israeli, to, uh, to a Jew, they are not seafaring people. Jews hate anything that has to do with water. You look at the times that water was used in the Bible. It is always used in a negative context. Jonah, Red Sea, Jordan's River at flood stage. Now, 
You've got the Phoenicians and the Philistines. They were seafaring people, not the Israelites. You know, they're kind of like me. They like the old terra firma, you know, and the firma, the terra, the better. And so they do not like that sort of thing. And so you can imagine the risk that they would take for people who do not like water to search for pearls. Now, Jesus is saying the kingdom is like this. What does he mean? Now, this is the practical stuff. And what we've got here, there's an example of the pearl right there. Here's what I believe he's talking about. The treasure and the pearl represent the kingdom of heaven, something that is priceless in value. I think what Jesus, one of the things he's driving at is that nothing else comes close in comparison. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is talking about rule, the, the rule and reign of the king, being in relationship with Jesus. Nothing compares. And there's times that I'm not sure if we're convinced of that. Because I'm telling you, there are all kinds of trinkets of the world that are scattered on the surface that people are looking for and pursuing. Thinking that they can find in those things something of value and significance. Nothing. Nothing compares. As a believer, I've got the Lord's mercy and grace and forgiveness. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got a spiritual gift. I've got a, the people of God. I've got significance. I've got purpose. I've got joy. I've got peace. And if that weren't enough, I've got heaven itself. Dude. I mean, there is nothing that can compare. And Jesus, I think what he's saying is you've got to understand the, the, the intrinsic value of what you have as a believer. If God never did one more thing for me, as we talked about yesterday, I mean, beyond dying on the cross for me, that's the best ever. But he continues to pour out blessings and kindness and compassion and grace upon me. A person would, there is such a heavenly treasure to be discovered, you would be an absolute fool not to give your life for that. The proverb says, the blessing of the kingdom are more precious than jewels, of more value than fine silver or pure gold, and that nothing you desire can compare with it. That's quite a statement. Nothing you desire? I mean, I can desire an awful lot. Nothing you can desire can compare with it. And yet there are those who will choose the pearls and treasures that this world has to offer and walk away from God's offer. Why would you ever do that? Ask the rich young ruler. People do it all the time. The kingdom is priceless in value. And if you want to know how much you value, listen to this, if you want to know how much you value the kingdom, take inventory on how often you thank the Lord for those things I just mentioned. I'm embarrassed. I don't take nearly enough time to be grateful. 
and to offer him gratitude and praise. You know, want to know what my prayer times? You know, Lord, solve this, do this, do that. I mean, I'm thinking. And part of the reason is because a lack of understanding the value of the kingdom. See, I'm such a selfish person. I'm awful. And so are you. Don't look, don't look like you're not. See, we're awful. Lord, help me to be more appreciative and grateful for what I have in Christ. Man, I tell you what, I'm a millionaire in disguise. Number two, the kingdom of heaven, meaning a relationship with the Lord, is something, this is interesting, that must be diligently pursued. It must be diligently pursued. Notice, in each situation, it was hidden from view. It's just not laying out there. You got to kind of go after this stuff. You got to dig. I mean, that's part. I mean, I'm, I'm saved, but I tell you what, to discover the deeper things of the kingdom, you kind of have to go after it. You got to study. You got to apply yourself. You got to come to camp. You got to. You got to think it through. It's just they're just not trinkets lying on the surface. It's beneath the surface. See. It, it, it ha- it's, it's hidden. They had to take the initiative to own it. I might also mention, it's also, well, notice in each of these situations, it was found before it was owned. That's an interesting insight. It wasn't enough to discover, well, son of a gun, look, I just found hidden treasure. Or, wow, look at the size of this pearl. That's amazing. The issue in each of the stories was, I need to own it. And it was, we're going to talk about tomorrow. Some of the issues dealing with prodigals, they found it, but they never owned it. The joy is in the owning, not the finding. You have to make it your own. And, and so, in, and, and by the way, that's true of biblical truth, isn't it? I have got to make it my own. See? Third insight here. At least the third under the second point. It costs them everything. Isn't that interesting? It cost them everything. Selling all that he had, he bought the field. Liquidated everything he had, bought the pearl. I discover the pearl of great price, and I say to the merchant, that's a beautiful pearl. He says, it is. I said, would I be able to buy it? Anybody can buy it. But is it expensive? terribly expensive. But I thought you said that anybody could buy it. They can't. Well, what does it cost? Everything you have. I think for a minute, okay, I'll buy it. And he goes, very, very good. Okay, takes out his pen and pencil. Okay, what do you have? Well, what do you mean? What do I have? Well, what, it's going to cost you everything. What do you have? Um, just a second. I've got a 
I've got 2, 4, 60, 70, and a $2, I got $72. Okay, I got, I got, I got $72. Okay, $72, fine. What else do you have? That's it. Well, I, wait, I, just, I think I saw you had some charge cards. Well, yeah, I got my Costco Visa card here, and I got a custom-made Discover card. It shows the Great Barrier Reef. Okay, Costco D D Visa is mine. Very Great Barrier Reef Discover card. Okay, that's mine. What else? That's it. That's all I've got. Where do you live? Well, yeah, I, mean, I live in a house. Okay, you live in a house? Okay, the house. Okay, the house is mine. What else? Oh, uh, so now I'm supposed to sleep in my car? Oh, you have a car. Okay, <laughs> one car. Well, I actually got a car and a pickup truck. Got a pickup truck? Okay, car, pickup truck, what else? Well, I clothes and, okay, you've got car, house, car, pickup truck, clothes, $72, okay. Costco card, okay. Clothes, what else? Uh, pretty much it. That's, that's, that's everything. Are you alone? No, I'm married. My wife, Judy. Okay, you've got a wife? Okay, she becomes mine too. Okay. Judy. Do you have children? Yeah, I got three, three sons and they're each married. Okay, three sons, two or three daughters-in-law. Is that it? I got five little grandkids. Okay, five grandchildren. Okay. We're not done. What else? That's uh, everything. You got everything. I mean, that's it. I mean, I don't. That's it. That's all. Oh, there's one more thing, Joel. You. You. I need you. And by the way, let, let me tell you something. All of these things, your pickup truck, your car, your $72 in your wallet, your Visa card, your Discover card showing the Great Barrier Reef, your house, uh, your wife, your three sons, your three daughters and all your five grandkids, your clothes, uh, all, and you, all of it becomes mine. I am the owner now. It's all mine. And by the way, because it's mine, if at any time, I demand one of those things. It's mine to take. I know the price is high, but then you have the pearl. The pearl of great price. It is priceless in value and it will cost you everything. But as you look at your note outline, it's not finished yet. Because I think that perhaps the most significant application, this may be what the Lord was driving at. We are the treasure and the pearl. Have you ever thought about that? Something that is priceless in value. 
Jesus is telling us a major truth, and then maybe you've never considered this before regarding these parables. He's talking about you. You are the treasure. You are the pearl of great price. Look at the context of the parable in Matthew 13. In his explanation of the parable of the weeds, he spoke of a man sowing seeds. And the Lord says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The main character in each of the parables in Matthew 13, kingdom parables, is always God. Why would we think that the main character in these parables is not the Lord? He is the leading character. He is the one plowing the field. He is the merchant. Do you understand how valuable you are? How much God loves you? Do you understand that he will do anything at any price? And by the way, it cost him a big price. To diligently search for you and find you. And it cost him everything he had. Why would he ever do that? Because of the tremendous value that you have in his eyes. I don't think you understand. If if the price of something reflects its value, follow me, if the price of something reflects its value, how valuable are you to God? It came at a pretty steep price. The cost of the Son of God? I don't think we have any idea of how valuable we are in the, in the Lord's eyes. And because of that, look up on the screen. We are the ones who are being diligently pursued. And this is part of what we're going to talk about tomorrow, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. As much as you care for your son and your daughter, there is one who cares a great deal more and who is so intent on the pursuit of the heart and soul of your daughter. And there are times that we think, man, God, what are you doing? Are you sure you're in charge? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. There is this eternal pursuit, the hounds of heaven. By the way, a great poem. Look it up on the internet. The hounds of heaven are in pursuit of your daughter and your son, and he is willing to pay any price. And as we'll discuss tomorrow, you've got to understand there is a process by which that happens. In this story concerning the treasure and the pearl, there was a process that they had to engage in to acquire it. And so there will be a process that the Lord is engaged in to to be able to recoup the heart and soul of your granddaughter. You see, you and I, we are not people that, that, that like process. We are people focused on product. Give me the product. You cannot have the product without the process. He who began a good work in you will continue the process until the day of Christ. The entire story of sanctification, now that I'm saved, it is a process that will take me my entire life. You see, we live in an instant society. I want it now. And the heart that you've got for your daughter or your son or your grandkids or your husband, 
I, I, Lord, I, I want this now. That's not the way it works, folks. He is engaged in this transactional activity to acquire, to pursue, to find, and to acquire the heart and soul of your kids. And we'll, we'll unpack that more tomorrow. That's just a taste. Now, what I'm going to share with you tomorrow, you have got to understand how the process works. Because unless you understand how this process works in the lives of prodigals, you're going to be one whooped pup. There is a particular process that God is using. Now, to the degree you cooperate with that process, you're going to be all right. But the problem is, as a mom and dad or a spouse, you can interrupt and derail the process if you're not careful. And so you've got to stay out of the way. And you've got to allow the process to take place. Classic example we'll talk about tomorrow, the process with the prodigal son. Notice the activity of the father. He stayed out of the way. The process had to take its course. And we'll talk about that more specifically tomorrow. How do you cooperate with God in the process of the one that you care for so deeply coming back to the Lord? See? I mean, it'll be good stuff. And, uh, and I can't wait to get into it because I'm, a, I'm right in the middle of that process right now with our oldest son. See? I'm holding hands with you. <laughs> Amen? Okay, let me pray. We've got a few minutes left, and I'll take some questions. Father, I just want to thank you. And Lord, forgive me, I don't do this enough. Thank you for the glories of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings of a relationship with you, for the joy and the peace and the purpose and the value for all of your promises that are yes and amen in Christ, for the promise of heaven that greater is he that is in me and in us than he that is in the world, that I can have victory, I can have confidence, I can have assurance. I've got abundant life, Lord. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And if that weren't enough, I've got heaven itself, and I thank you for the promise of heaven. And Lord, we just give you praise and honor for the treasure and the pearl of the kingdom. And thank you, Lord, that in like manner you treasure us so much that you pursue us. And you are willing to pay any price, including the price of the death of your son. And so, Lord, our hearts are filled this morning. And we thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Miss Ellen. Yes, if, um, if you're going to be here tomorrow and you have a question in regards to the prodigal um, issue that's going to be spoken, if you could hold that question till tomorrow and um, if you're going to be here. So I just want to make sure that we uh, keep those things in line. Let's, uh, let's have some comments or questions in regards to the uh, parable that was parable that was talked about today. Any comments, questions? Yes. I just need the um, reference for the proverb verse you said. 
the numbers. All right. Proverbs, well, one I, I gave was Proverbs, I didn't say it out loud, Proverbs 13, 7. Um, and I'm not sure if, if, if I alluded to another proverb, um, mention that to me, and I'll, I'll be sure and find that for you. So, I also, I think, referenced the book of Job several times. Yeah, well, buddy. Yeah. Um, when we were going through that, and you were referencing the uh, archaeological digs in Israel and how they quadrant everything off. Right. And, I, and it, it occurred to me that um, when the treasure was found, um, he didn't just buy the property that had the treasure. He bought the whole field. When they quadrant it off, they quadrant way beyond where they find the particular item. If you're at, right. if you're at uh, that gate, you're going to have yeah, you the horse gate. Have mm -hmm. the whole stable in there and everything. But, and that to me was significant because uh, he wanted uh, in that field. You're going to find more treasure, more treasure. And then I'd never heard the teaching before, Joel, about that way that we are the pearl of great price. Yeah. And when he didn't just get us. He's got everything that we are, all of our children, all of our family, all of everything that we are, everybody we have contact, it's all part of what he paid the price for. And what? Yeah. Boy, do I ever feel special right now. Yeah. You know, well, I you feel are special. I have never quite felt so yeah. valuable yeah. as right now. And but I just wanted to share that it wasn't just the treasure. He bought the entire whole field. Yeah. Field. yeah. Right, it all became his. Well, and when you realize, okay, and I, when, I, when I did the illustration, you know, and the, my, my Visa card and the money and my, you know, my cars, my truck, my, and you think, geez, that did cost me a lot. Well, yeah, but look, <laughs> how does that compare with what you're getting, Jack? I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm giving this and I'm getting this. If you're talking about fairness, God isn't fair. How's that work? I, I offer him this, and I'm getting this? How's that work out to be fair? It's more than fair. That's why it's called grace. Let's see, somebody else. And somebody else was raising their hand. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. So something that occurred to me was, and I don't know if you were getting at this or not, but um, in a sense... I had thought that we were the person who found the treasure, which is what God did for us, and it will cost us everything. It'll cost our entire life, but it's completely worth it in the end. And that's exactly that's right. That occurred to me. Yeah. And then you also. Yeah, that's exactly that. right. Um, In some ways, I think both of those truths are, are accurate. Yeah. We are not only the one who pursues the treasure, we are the one being pursued as his treasure. That's exactly right. I think the other Proverbs verse um, was like the one where you allude to it, but didn't say a reference. It was like where the kingdom of God is the most precious thing you could ever Oh, attain. the kingdom of God is precious beyond it, that, no, that nothing can compare to that one? Yeah. Yeah, let one. me see if I can find it for you. Sure. Okay, yeah. 
as I was listening to you speak, um, you talked about God pursuing us and purchasing us, and I was waiting for you to say that he also bought our addictions and our struggles and our pain and our suffering. That he bought our addictions, our pain, our sufferings, and our struggles. Is that what you said? Oh, he paid for those? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Thank you for your, your comment. Yeah. Yeah, I got a question. When you talk about the money and material things and stuff, that to buy this pearl, he, he wants everything. But isn't there a side of it where he wants your relation or discipleship or something is just as much as value in that as the material things? I'm not, I'm not sure if I understand your, the question. Maybe someone else can Like help. if you, you give them everything you own, okay? Though there's just Yeah, things that you can hold and touch. Hold and touch. Right. But what about the relationship or the discipleship? Yeah. Isn't and that I, just as important? Yeah, and I think that's, that, that's indicative of he also wants my will and my motivations and my dreams and my heart right. Right. I think in the illustration, I, I was using those things as a representative of, which at the end, I said, and by the way, one other thing, you. you I want you, meaning all that you are. Your hopes and dreams and values and goals and marriage. Okay, right there, then we'll come up to Jeannie. Go ahead, buddy. Um, could you elaborate on the point? I must have missed it or didn't follow it, but the treasure did not belong to the owner of the field. Yeah, uh, what we said, when the guy, the guy finds his treasure in the field, he's out plowing, probably as a hired hand, he finds the treasure. And I said, the treasure could not have belonged to the owner of the field. And the reason we can say that is, why would the owner of the field have sold the property to the guy fully knowing that he's got this treasure. And obviously, if the treasure was worth a million dollars, the guy's not going to pay two million for the ground. I mean, that would be stupid. So what he paid wasn't as much as what the treasure was worth. And the owner, if he would have known it was there, it would never have sold the, or he would have gone and dug it up first. Well, hold on, I'll sell you the field just a second. Let me get up my shovel and dig up my treasure first. See, that's why we, we, we concluded that. Okay, Jeannie, go ahead. This ought to be good. Well... No pressure, right? No, that's right. So uh, we give him all that we have so that we can have this pearl of great price. And it, it feels like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You want everything? But there is nowhere that I would rather my children and grandchildren be than in his oh-so-capable hands. That's right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, the, the, the issue becomes, yeah, but if I give all this to you, then what? Well, who better to entrust it to than the one who loves me? I can entrust my children to the one who loves me. You know, he knows what's best. Okay, over there, anybody else? Raise your hand back there. I, uh, it just occurred to me, Joel, that uh, he already owned the field. It's, he, he owns it all. He didn't have to pay any price for it. He owns us. He, it's all his. That is the love of God, which yeah. is beyond our human comprehension or understanding. Yeah. 
He, he owns us by virtue of creation. Yes. The earth is the world's and everything in it. Or the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yeah. So he owns us by virtue of creation. But he also owns us doubly by virtue of redemption. So he, yeah. he paid the price for my sins and my soul. Yeah. So and there used to be a song like that. I'm twice owned by virtue of that he's the one that made me and he's the one that has redeemed me. Doesn't it seem shallow at this time in our conversation to think about the picture the world paints of what we're supposed to be working for? Retirement, that Shangri-La in the middle of a retirement somewhere where you have no stress, nothing. It pales in comparison to the plans God has for us. Well, and that's part of the reason why the Lord will not allow us at points to have some of those things. Because he wants us to find him to be our treasure. See? Because the, the allure is, guys, we look at all these people in Hollywood and all these a athletes, and LeBron James is making how, how many billion, you know, I mean, these guys are, you know, what, what was it that uh, Zuckerberg, you know, dropped from being the, the fourth wealthiest person in the world to being the sixth wealthiest? I'm thinking, boy, that's got to hurt. You know, and I think, well, then you look at these people and they end up hanging themselves. You know, Brad Pitt's on, and, and Angelina Jolie, what, third marriage? Oh, that must be the answer. Apparently, money and fame and good looks and being married to a trophy, that, that is what will bring fulfillment. Apparently not. Why are they the ones that are so miserable? That's the answer. Because they're settling for a sub-treasure. Somebody else. Right here, buddy. It's because they do not know God. I'm sorry? They do not yeah, know they God. they do not know the Lord. You yeah. Know. yeah. But what I, why initially was, I got all mixed up. No, here. that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to what you said about our prayers and how we often have this never-ending Christmas list. Yeah, yeah. I realized that a couple of years ago that it seemed like in my quiet time it was always, you know, Lord this, Lord this, I need this, I need that, yeah, or, right. you know, bless this person, this person has need. And I began to realize that I'm really not spending enough time in just thankful prayer. So in my morning quiet time, I try to pick at least one day in the week where all I do is just thank God for all of his blessings, thank him for his sacrifice, thank him for, you know, everything that he has done. For, for me, for my husband, and for our families, the heritage that I have, and all of that. So I try to pick one day a week. And so I would encourage you maybe also to pick one day a week. That's really good. Yeah, we, we are anemic when it comes to gratitude issues. Isn't it interesting? Because we are so much like the disciples. Lord, we've given up all to follow, follow you. What's in it for us? Well, that reflects my heart. What, what's in it for me? And which is why Jesus told the parable yesterday to cause me to be grateful for grace rather than just what's in it for me, Jack. See? I, okay. And it comes to mind on a practical level. I think you said that after, we gave, after he gave it all, that then the owner, the new owner said, and it's mine to take whenever I want. God loves us so much that he doesn't, even accept our payment li literally uh, I might give him my car but he leaves it in my garage and allows right. me to use it and yeah. it's he, his but he just lends it to me exactly yeah. and so he loves us enough that 
that even giving our all isn't as literal as as that. And and I don't say that so that it makes it easier, but yeah. it's just to help understand the depth of his love for us that he's he he loves us enough that he he doesn't want all that stuff. He doesn't need all that stuff. He just wants us not to have a hold of it. Right. I'm, th I'm thinking of, um, you know, we're trying to count the cost, but did he count the cost if we're the plural? How, you know, he, right. he didn't think twice about it, I'm yeah. sure. It, no, and you're actually, interestingly enough, you're alluding to another parable. No one goes to war without counting the cost. No one builds a building without counting the cost. Again, I believe he's referring to himself. Now, we, we will usually use that with the idea of, well, I'll tell you what, you need to count the cost. I think that that parable is saying he had to count the cost. And as we heard last night um, from Adam in the garden, that's, wh that's where he had to count the cost. He starts out by saying, I don't want to do this. By the way, uh, option A and option B. Option A, you know, to go to the cross. Option B, walk away. I vote for B. Which is what he was saying. Yeah. And then he goes, so he goes, if, I, if B is possible, that's my vote. Well, then he comes back the second and third time, and he goes, if it's not possible, I'll, I'm willing to do A. I mean, you, you can see this process of him counting the cost. And I think that's what he was referring to in that parable. Interesting look, uh, way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, Jesus in the garden, was he was flesh. He yeah. still had his flesh, and he was still operating. He's God. Right. But that's a picture for us because we're not God, and we are flesh, but the Spirit is what gives life. And so even in the midst of all of that suffering, there's still life because that's who God is in the midst of that. Yeah, uh, you were talking about Christian, I mean, excuse me, uh, worldly celebrity, but there's Christian celebrity too. And, and it's, there's, there's a lot to be said in the midst of um, those that are um, making all kinds of money and doing what they're doing yeah. and, uh, and starting to compromise on where they believed. And so you got to know what you know here because when you're over here, you got to know what you know over here because this can take you away really fast. And it's getting it settled here. Some There was another hand here. I thought I saw one over here, too. Um, when you mentioned count the cost, I just have to say, um, in my experience, a lot of people I see going into ministry now don't. They just don't even look at it. Mm -hmm. I've got a granddaughter right here whose husband has given up a future he could have had um, with the, his father builder very, very wealthy, and they're serving God, they're going, they're doing ministry. I know when Lou and I came here, I never even thought, it never entered my mind, there was a cost, there was so much reward. And I think if we take the potential of what God gives us and don't play up the cost and just know the benefit, that, that we're going to be healthier witnesses for God. Yeah. 
friend of mine was a missionary in Egypt, was arrested and put into an Egyptian prison. And uh, he was held there for a number of months and then through the State Department and through prayers and so forth, he was finally released. And this is what he said, his name's Rick Dugan. When Rick came out, he said to me, Joel, he said, I knew that when I was a missionary, when I decided to serve the Lord, that there would be a cost. What I didn't realize is that it would hurt. See? Uh, and, And there is this illusion with an evangelical Christianity that the Lord will not hurt you. That is not true. He will hurt you. That's biblical. John 21. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? This is what it says. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Let me tell you, Jesus will hurt you. He will not harm you. But the idea that that when I come to Christ, I'm, I'm looking for a pain-free life, that is an illusion. And, as, and I, I mentioned this yesterday. We have got to tell people it is a life of sacrifice and suffering and pain. By definition, self-denial is that. Any man would come up to me and let him take up his cross, well, what do you think he's talking about? Deny himself that sa- sacrifice, suffering, and pain. People need to know that on the front end. If you don't tell them on the front end, they're going to be disillusioned when it doesn't happen, and they'll walk, see? And, and we're, what we're discovering is we had a generation that's walked because of that. They weren't told the truth, see? Jeannie, I'm getting on my soapbox here. <laughs> so going, Somebody else. Yeah, go so ahead. So going but. along with what you were saying about counting up the cost, uh, something that we actually just referenced last week at my young adult study at my church is we compared Jesus and Moses, and they were both called to do huge, huge sacrifices. And what was interesting was that Jesus was like, hey, if there's any other way, please let me have this. Although, yes, it was a greater sacrifice because it's him getting hurt. Mm. And, I mean, no one wants to be like crucified for, what, like eight hours? just hung and bleed. That sucks. But still, Moses was asked to give up his only son. Or not Moses. Abraham. Abraham. Thank you. But um, it's still a huge sacrifice, and he was super, super willing to do that as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Last night, um, there's a dad with a tiny little baby, and he came and he knelt down right here. And I'll tell you what, I thought, that dad is starting right. He's taking his baby girl with him. Will she remember that? No, but he will. And if he wants, I can forward him the picture I took of him so that he has that without his head there. So he won't know. You can't tell who it is. But I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing when followers of Jesus follow Jesus all the way to the altar and carry their babies there. That was a picture that will forever be imprinted into my into my mind about that dad. Yeah, that's. We have a generation today that is look looking for purpose. Muslims, like I said yesterday, Islam has no difficulty getting people who are willing to sign up to be suicide bombers. Do a study on kamikaze pilots during World War II. They had more than they could handle. 
Why would people be willing to volunteer to do that? Because they were called to a greater cause than themselves. People want to be called to a higher cause. And as a church, we think, well, man, if we, if we make it sound hard, they won't come forward. The opposite's true. The opposite's true. You call them and say, we are, this is a call to significance. This is a call to a greater purpose. Yes, it's going to be different. Why do you think people go into jungles as missionaries? Because they're being called to a higher purpose and a, and a, and a place of significance. The call needs to be sacrifice, suffering, and self-denial. Three S's. And by the way, you get salvation thrown in. We've got a, we've got a backwards save. And that's, I think that's part of the reason why we're losing kids. It is time to, I know we could probably keep the questions coming. If you jot your questions down and you give them to Joel throughout the day, maybe he'll be able to tackle those in the next two days at some point also. So don't, don't not ask a question. It just means you don't have to ask it in front of everybody here. So um, let's, uh, let's sing the doxology together. Yeah. If you don't know the words, I am sorry. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's do that together. Here we go. Praise, Praise God, God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You are dismissed for 15 minutes. Well, make that more like 12 minutes <laughs> so that you have time to get back into here or down in Patton Lodge. <laughs>